if I could have done this with my parents at the table when I was a kid, my life would have been very, very different. Very different. Because then there's a you know, there's a point where kids can be DMs too. And I would love for someone and to do that for myself is one day have a child who then DMs for me. You know, that's, it's that kind of like, it's the same joy of creating at the table that you could just share with someone else. And I cannot think of a better way to do that. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, oh, oh. I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, oh. I think I need some good advice. I need a role-playing rescue. Oh yeah. I need a role-playing rescue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hello Rescuers, welcome to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing hobby. Special moments come along, but rarely, and today is a special moment for me. Sometimes we meet people with whom we share seemingly little in common, and then we discover that they play D&D too. My guest today is someone from a very different background and experience of role-playing games, whom I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with. While our conversation was focused around the topic of pantheons in D&D, the conversation roamed far and wide, giving me much to think about. Big thanks up front to my guest, and I hope you'll enjoy what he had to say. This is Season 11, Episode 17, Talking Pantheons with Ron Ogden. Ron Ogden is the CEO of the Dungeon Society, a tabletop RPG company seeking to give every GM a creative toolset to make the storytelling process convenient and unique. Ron has been world building and creating homebrew D&D campaigns for over two decades. His latest endeavors include being a co-GM on The Dungeon Run, a popular live play D&D show on Twitch, as well as The Chronicle for Heroic Story, a creator-led community that unites artists, writers and gamers who love fantasy stories and RPGs. So welcome to the show, Ron, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. So in a moment, I guess we're going to have a little bit of chat about uh, Pantheons, which will be really interesting. But I just wanted to start with the basics. What's the backstory? How did you get into role-playing games? Um, so uh, I've talked about this a little bit in other places. I did not have the best childhood. Uh, and part of growing up, I realized that I uh, needed to find something to ac- occupy my brain. So one of the things I did was, um, especially around middle school and, high, and well into high school, uh, I spent lunch in the library. I was that kind of kid. Uh, So I spent lunch in the library. And what I did was I read as many books as I could find. And I constantly found the stories, the Greek and Roman tragedies, um, you know, religious studies in general were in my hand. I was always fascinated Mm -hmm. by what brought people to religion Mm -hmm. and what was it about religion that they really uh, attached to. And so uh, because I was struggling with that, my own questions in my own life about that kind of stuff. Um, And it, it you know when i started reading about the greek and roman tragedies it made me realize that i wasn't alone and that other people had been suffering through this kind of stuff for thousands of years and so um it gave me a little bit of comfort uh and you know it's really funny i had a friend who was like you seem to really love the stories of gods and goddesses and i said yes um and they were like well there's this game called um ad and d 
and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they deal a lot with that kind of stuff. And I was like, no. And so he's like, well, uh, there's this new website called eBay. Uh, I'm dating myself just a little bit. There's this new website called eBay. Let's get together. And uh, there's this uh, person who's selling literally all of their books. Uh, and so we bought it and split it three ways. It was two me and two other friends. We split it three ways. Uh, and that's how I was introduced to the first time to AD&D. Mm. Um, and from then on, it was mostly reading those books, right? It was mostly reading those books that I got and was like, oh, wow, okay, I see what they're doing with, this is cool, this is cool. Um, <clears throat> and that kind of led me into, uh, right as I got those books, 3.0 3. was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that led me right into 3.0 with all the new pantheons, with all their pretty pretty uh art and all the new things they come out for 3.0 and pantheon so that's kind of how i started cool and what is it you most enjoy about role-playing games now you're involved in it um well now you know i'm an actor by trade and uh, got into that before D started to become popular um and so for me D has always been a great way to uh, D and larping i'm also a larper uh mm-hmm. in my history so i did a lot of that as well uh and i i make the joke and it's i say joke it's true um i learned how to act by larping by going you know once a month every weekend once a month for an entire weekend and playing one character for that entire weekend um from the time you go to when you're asleep when you get woken up you're that character so that intent was really just intense character study for me mm-hmm. uh, i was around other people who were into it uh who are willing to uh experiment with new things you know in in uh, that kind of stuff so um that is what drew me to D eventually was or to larping in D was kind of like a, a a circular loop for me that happened all very quickly at the same time um i got into it was like oh wait you can also run around the woods and hide in them and throw things at people yeah i want to do that that's fun uh, especially when you're in college like yeah that's definitely fun let's go do that it's better than the, the being in <laughs> chemistry class right now so that kind of led me into the D space and role-playing role-playing became my escape right it was an escape escapists uh mm-hmm. kind of uh attention so yeah that's how it went down for me yeah, that's all cool um yeah. and i mean as you've been playing so i'm assuming that was a D second edition that you bought yes. some copies of yep so yes sack of stuff um and mm-hmm. you moved into third edition did you follow through into right. fourth I'm assuming you've now arrived uh, in fifth. Yes, I followed through fourth. And in fact, you know, I mm. might get a little flack from some people, but I really loved fourth edition. Mm-hmm. I owned every book of fourth edition. I thought in fourth edition, they did a lot of good, like um, edge edge storytelling, storytelling on the edge of the fandom mm-hmm. where uh, they brought in more primal powers. They brought in all these new things that I thought were really cool. Mm-hmm. Um just people didn't like the game style play and so now we're in fifth edition and i think we all agree the fifth edition is very strong and very fun mm-hmm. um and so that's what i i concentrate now is in fifth edition yeah that's cool um so yeah. you're working now um being a co-gm on the dungeon run uh tell us yes. a little bit about what that's like i mean being a co-dm sounds complicated so tell us a little bit about uh that. it is complicated and jared would probably jared my co-dm uh jared yeah. uh check uh he is um a good friend of mine now we've we were uh players on the first season of the dungeon run with jeff canada as gm mm-hmm. um and you know it's an interesting thing when um when we were uh hired for the original run of the dungeon run none of us knew each other we right. it was a it was a casting call it was uh 
you know, all it was is really like, okay, we've got improv skills. Let's go and try to impress people with improv skills. Um, and that's what it became, right? Like that's really, once we, uh, once we were cast, we realized, and it was Jared, uh, who is my co-DM, like I was talking about, he made it very clear at the front, like, I need to know who you people are if we're going to do this, this intimate thing together, right? Because <laughs> let's be honest, D&D around a table is an intimate thing. Mm. We're, we're trusting each other. We're telling stories together. This is intimacy, right? It, mm. It's a form of it. So um, Jared pointed out real quick, and that was so good, I think, for all of us because it made us really all like slot in and realize, okay, we all care about this thing that's going on. D&D has been thrown around as like, oh, it's a fun game. Let's just have fun. And we were like, no, no, no. Like we're actors as well. We want to tell a, a compelling dramatic story but also play D. Mm. um and so getting that from jared early on really helped solidify i think us as a group because we started to communicate about that kind of stuff like okay what do you you know what is it what stories do you like what is it that you like to tell what is it like do you like to do are you a rogue you know that kind of stuff so um as we progressed we became very close in the first season all of us mm. uh, very close friends so now in the second season, um, Jeff Kanana had to uh, step aside. He's um, uh, family, some family stuff that he's had, had to attend to um, still involved uh, with the show in the background. Uh, so he's still very much involved there. Uh, and I hope to uh, hope play with him again at the table soon. But uh, when Jeff left, Jared and I, um, you know, there was a big discussion. Okay, what are we going to bring in a new GM? Uh, what are we going to do? Um, and one of the things that we all really wanted to do on the dungeon run was increase our diversity. And so uh, one of the first things I said was, I will, one, willing to DM and two, willing to step aside and, and take a, a leading role here. Mm. Um, but I was like, I also was like, you know, it'd be very cool because this is so much work for a show <laughs> if we had someone who was either assistant or helping and that's when jared and i started talking about like well what if we co-dm'd we mm -hmm. trust one another i had been running a game for him for a year during the pen uh, right before the pandemic started with some him and his friends i was running out of the abyss campaign which was a lot of fun uh, and through that process, we learned that we could collaborate even more so than we already were doing on the dungeon run. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's how we came about. We were like, hey, let's do that. And so it's become this sort of the way that we kind of do it. And I've talked about this a little bit is um, we have a pilot and a co-pilot. Right. Uh, and the pilot is responsible for a, 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 co a cohesive story structure. Mm -hmm. uh, and the co-pilot works with the pilot we, together what's going on to try to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. And then once that goal is achieved, we switch spots. Um, and so that's, it's usually around a five episode arc that we've found so far mm -hmm. that that really kind of fits well into. Um, and it's not super strict. Like if for whatever reason, Jared uh, is distracted by something because something's going on in the game, then I'll pick up and, and continue the story and, and fill in details that maybe Jared uh, didn't forget and, and vice versa. Again, the, again, we swap these roles um, and it just becomes a practice of, one, um, a very strong thing I think is good in storytelling, killing your darlings mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, the concept of killing your darlings, like things that you really just love, be willing to let them go or to change them um, because that's going to make a more compelling uh, story process, in, in my opinion. And I think that will bring people back to a table, right? Like if you're mm -hmm. if you're getting that kind of. Uh, rich storytelling that is open to choice then it's easier to sit down it's easier to go okay let's i'm i'm a part of this now let's have a conversation hmm. and so that's what jared and i've been doing since the beginning we um we really focus on 
concentrating on the players' backstories as a forward momentum force for the overall arcing story. Hmm. Okay, so it sounds yeah. like you, like you've got this thing where you're you're going back and forth. Really, one of you's running for a primarily yeah. for a while, and then you switch for a while. Um, yeah, and how have the players responded to that uh, dynamic of two GMs? Um, well, the players have responded uh, spectacularly, and and I think you know after it was probably after the second session we did a z- session zero for each one of our cast members this time, mm-hmm. and then after our first or second session, I think they started to really understand the power of a two GM dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do villain scenes, right? We can do maybe EG <laughs> scenes that you can see, and we have two actors, so it's not the DM acting with themselves and. Mm. Um, you know, when they need an extra hand or an NPC that's a friend, I can play that PC. So NPC, so can Jared. So there's a lot of options there for us to do with storytelling, because you know, any any acting scenes is just two people, man. It's just two people. So um, this gives us an opportunity to tell stories in a more uh, cohesive way that feels a lot more like a storybook than necessarily someone narrating. Um, mm-hmm. This feels like you can watch it. So uh, players have responded spectacularly. And uh, one of the jokes, uh, especially Serena Marie, she she talks about it. She's like, uh, you know, when Jared plays an NPC, he's got this sinister feel to it. It's always a sinister feel. So I never trust the NPCs. But when Ron plays the NPCs, it's like, let's be friends. That person wants to be my friend. I want to be the friend's NPC. And Serena said recently, uh, I'm just waiting for that to flip on me. <laughs> it's where my happy-go-lucky, friendly NPC type becomes the sinister scheming type. So uh, it's a little fun. <laughs> How do you keep yourself motivated to play? I mean, as GM, what kind of things kind of give you the buzz and keep you coming back? Um, for me, it's, it's you know, we talked uh, talk a little bit earlier. It's like, for me, it's it's interesting pantheons. Those bring me to the table, learning something new like that, uh, especially any kind of structure of uh, of a, de- a deity force that I haven't really run mm-hmm. into or experienced before. Um, and for me, it's it's that player interaction, man, like uh, the when it's improvisation for me, mm-hmm. I'm an improv guy through and through. That's what got me into improv. That's what the, that was the strength that I noticed in 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 um, D&D. So uh, the ability to improvise a story on the go with someone else's mind, for me, that's it's like candy, man. That's I can mm. just do that all day long, all the time. Um, I mean, I literally could live at the table personally. <laughs> awesome. All right. So our chosen topic for discussion was Pantheons. And, you know, it's, yeah. my listeners will know that's close to my heart as well. Um, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, um, I mean, I'm going to just start with some basic questions. I mean, how important sure. do you actually think that religious belief and faith is in the fantasy game? Uh, in fantasy game, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a great question because I have this I have this conversation with a lot of players and one of the things I say, you know, there's this common feel now is like, oh, well, in a world with arcane magic, wouldn't most people just be sort of not agnostic, but just not care? Like mm-hmm. if you could manipulate the energies of the world around you at your fingertips, do you need a god? Um well, I don't know that anyone needs a god, but uh, one thing I've learned in my pantheon's experience in reading and religions is that gods don't care whether you need them or not. 
yeah. they're going to do what they want to do because they're petty and they're and they're loved and you know they they have all these deep emotions um that we humans can share right like we we share those examples and i think that's kind of what the godly concept within writing really came from i think that's kind of the this in my opinion the source of of religious belief or need is explaining what is already in front of us right like if especially if we go back before we had education and understood the world around us better like we do um when a lightning bolt strikes from the sky what was that like how did that happen like what was that right now and rather than just go i don't know humans were like well i gotta come up with something and uh so that's my kind of structure and i think in the fantasy realm it's the same right it's religion is a way to understand a complex and very very un non-understandable world around you and give it some context for yourself now of course that leads to very dangerous things in some cases especially if you want to you know, you worship the God of war and you want to take over a land, that's going to be a problem, right? We're going to have an issue with that, but it is still a driving force of those who don't necessarily understand the world around them. And they are very important in the fantasy game. I think simply, especially five E and D and D because you have clerics and paladins and they are staples, you know, especially the cleric was a staple of the party. If you didn't have a cleric in a D and D, you why play like why even continue um so obviously that's much better now you don't need a cleric in every party to enjoy your to enjoy your storytelling uh, we've evolved that way um and, and just like we have in religion i think we've evolved in like okay it's not you know it's not zeus in the sky throwing lightning bolts uh it's it's an esoteric being who, you know, is activating these things because of love or whatever it is that you particularly believe and find, uh, find comfort in. So for me, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff. I, I think that religion is important at the table because it gives people motive, some individuals motivating, uh, motivating circumstances. And because so much of the fantasy world, especially macro, uh, events are driven by, incredibly insanely powerful npcs dragons and that kind of stuff gods sort of give you a way to uh play with the powers that be hmm. it's kind of interesting i mean over the years i've the resistance i've had to detailing religious belief in my game and and kind of digging into that has always been hey you know aren't we basically living in a broadly secular society and isn't it all a bit irrelevant to us and come on you know, let's be honest, it's not really important. I've also come across the, what's something I want to talk about a little bit more later as well as the relationship between that and alignment, which again is one of those things that I've found a lot of players love to just push out into the background yeah. and not play with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about, well, you know, actually, I think this might be a heart thing, you know, a center, a really good mm. point to sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, um, so one example, just one simple example of why for me, it's always been really important is if we're talking about the existence of the undead. We're talking about the existence of raising spiritual beings as, you know, and what have you, then that implies spirit. And that means, immediately starts raising uh, you know, for me theological and spiritual questions right so you know how is it that you know these humanoid beings have a soul or spirit that can be kind of separate from their body there's dualism and all of that stuff going on so on a philosophical level for me it's always exploded in my head it's one of the things that got me into the hobby um so yeah i think there are all sorts of things in the game that just imply it and i think like 
if ignoring that is sort of to me seems to lose some richness but i don't know what you think about that i know i agree i think you're i think you hit the nail on the head there it's it it, it ignores a richness that's built in there uh, and it gives some you know the way that we use pantheons in the dungeon run uh, mm. on twitch is uh, well essentially you know i'm not ruining anything here but uh in our show the watchers are part of our pantheon so mm. people who are watching at home they're literally mining minor guard minor gods in the pantheon um and you can interact in that way right we use that as a path for interaction with their mm. with the cast and the members um and we're finding that people really seem to enjoy that right like they enjoy to they're they're minor gods so they're not just a major god who can sit around and do whatever they want to the to the people in the world but they can influence things and you know i like the nature side of things so i want nature to be the solution to this or at least mm. be around here and be and be uh, affluent or you know i'm more of a i'm more of a space person and so i like the astral plane so maybe the astral plane is the one that's that's uh helping us solve this problem right now hmm. so it's that kind of interesting dynamic and i think you're right it, it just speaks to a to a, to a spirituality and to a sense of there's dynamicism in the in storytelling when you bring gods and religion and and here's the thing like gods and religion then it they don't have to be so um regimented right like we mm. our gods in reality tend to have been regimented especially in, in in particular religious circles but they don't have to be uh and that's you know one of the things uh, my brain goes oh what kind of uh, what kind of god would do that so like, like what kind of god would be you know someone who would raise the uh, the dead back to life and we talk about liches and there's you know historical of just these evil people who want power what if you had an undead God, a God who raised the undead, who was a mother mm -hmm. who just wanted more people around because they were lonely and they had the power to do so. That would be very scary, but it would also be very like, I feel bad for that person. They're literally just raising the dead because they're lonely. Mm -hmm. That would be an interesting for me. That's an interesting story. Like, why did that God go that way? What about their reality? What about what their creation and their existence led them to this path? And then discovering all of the plethora of characters that can ever exist that might believe in that God, right? Like a, a grieving mother whose 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 uh, children was taken them from by from by a war. You know, like now you've got so many warlocks and witches as source material components for that particular god as their as their primary religious uh, belief system. So there's there's so much a god and making a strong choice in the pantheon and amongst all of your pantheon then just ripples out, in my opinion, in all of the characters that you could create within that world. It gives them desires. It gives them things to attach to. I'm not alone in this world. There's someone else who wants the thing I want uh, and all that richness. And that richness is what keeps me at the table. That's what keeps me at the table. Yeah, it's interesting as well. I mean, I go back, you know, to pre first edition AD&D. Um, yeah. Actually, this week, I've been rereading 1974 ODND, right? So one of the things oh, I wow. immediately noticed, and this touches on the alignment thing, but alignment in that book implies um, law, neutrality, and chaos as factions rather than as, you know, kind of moral position, position. Yeah. It became later on, right? And what yeah. I found fascinating is the implication of, you know, which group are you aligned with? And, and why I bring this up is because I think that, again, a pantheon, um, a religious belief of any kind, 
um, actually offers this factional gaming straight away. You know, you've got these different concerns. So like to bring up on your idea of this God of the dead and, and of death and, you know, ruling over that kind of stuff that immediately um, then invites you to look at, well, what might be opposite that or what might mm -hmm. be complementary to that? And you're into factions and you can bring a really rich dynamic to your world. Well, that's yep. my view anyway. Um, yeah. So, I mean, is that what you tend to do when you're sort of creating? Uh, absolutely. I think that kind of is built into the Pantheon concept, right? Is mm. uh, once you have a, once you have a God set, uh, then you've got religions and those religions have uh, key concepts. And if you've, if you've had a, uh you know a particularly inspiring session on creating a god then creating the church becomes very easy because okay what does the god of the undead really care about especially if if she's a lonely person uh, or a lonely god like what do they care about uh you know it's not just raising undead it's taking care of them like you can't just you know maybe that god is like you can't just raise them and let them wander the countryside that is bad and you should not do that what you should do is put them in a dungeon and let them grow and let them have families and stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff now you can build a religion out of, right? Because now you've got literally people in the religion who are dungeon creators because they want to create safe spaces for their, for their zombies and their skeletons. Uh, and you've got others who are literally grow them. You know, they, they could be now it's, they're like, a uh, it's almost like a plant. So you're going to have people who quote unquote water the undead. So there's people that bring people down there to feed them. You know, this kind of stuff then just leads to a cascading of creation and dynamicism, I think, in that in that in that aspect um, that I think you're touching on a, a, a little bit when you were mentioning um, that. So uh, for me, it's it's it gives me a way and an engine to generate. And it's definitely faction based because I think this just naturally works. Now, you can have factions that work together, right? I imagine the goddess of, uh, especially if we are, are talking about the, taking the undead goddess that I created, if, mm. you know, the god of fertility probably would have some pathway to this person because uh, they are creating and are out of the need of, of want and and, and maybe a, a miscued version of love. But I would call that that god's undeath and the way they're tied to it, a version of their love. Um, all of that can have other ties domains become a really good way to like the pins in those things, right? Like um, the pins in the, in the once and the Pantheon are the domains. And for me, that's really what it comes down to is like, Ooh, what are now some interesting godly dynamics that either care for each other that normally wouldn't because they share a domain or they fight because they share a domain. These are more options you can choose in your, in your Pantheon. And again, all of that just sort of reflects downward to your the characters and NPCs in the world you create. Okay, so before we dive into like the creation of a pantheon, I want to ask a little bit about that and then engaging the players with that. And there's an obvious question, which is why pantheons are not a monotheism. Any thoughts on that? Um, I, you know, I, it's an interesting question. I don't know that I've ever actually kind of really sat down and thought about it. So thank you for that. That's um, I love. It, contemplating new things monotheism has always kind of been just status quo in my life so i think that's uh just from my you know the way i grew up and the people around me um and i think that's just sort of not been very interesting to me mm -hmm. um it, it it's it, not to say that there's anything wrong with monotheism there isn't it's just boring to me mm -hmm. um in a in a in a play setting and in a storytelling setting yeah um it doesn't, you know, the thing about factions is that there's a built in other 
viewpoints mm-hmm. uh, and when a monotheistic viewpoint there it's one viewpoint there that's like this is it guys it's what you got uh move forward i don't know that that works so well in a in a creative space where you want people to have options you know mm-hmm. <laughs> at least uh, it, when i look at it but th- i guess there is some yeah and and it's a challenge now thank you for this because now i want to go and actually play a game that is a monotheistic uh, fantasy world and how that might work and what that wor- world might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's always been because pantheons and systems are like families. Um, and that's how I understood the lens of those things. And for, for me, it's like, oh, they're just big, ugly families. It's like mm-hmm. uh, the Game of Thrones, big, ugly families, uh, people who who tend to have connections but don't really care for one another. Uh, it's that kind of stuff. It's This is just a reflection of what is real or has been real in our world. Um, and so for me, it's a, it's a great way to go, okay, well, let's tell stories that might have happened in worlds. Um, mm-hmm. And having more than one religious viewpoint um, lends to uh diversity i think in that kind of storytelling Mm. whereas a monotheism is going to lead you down one path and that path might still be compelling and might still be a good thing um but immediately in any kind of monotheistic world i'm going to want there to be the birth of a new god and that becomes what is the thing that the players have to deal with right is the Mm. birth of this new god because that monotheistic god is not going to let one uh come alive so that's kind of my my brain goes okay so how is a monotheistic god what is a problem that they would need to solve because gods have problems too right the gods have problems they're just way bigger on scale uh Mm. and so you just sort of have to zoom out and go okay well now do the same problem solving techniques that you do with other stories but now on a scale that's much grander um, and that's that's when it becomes uh, interesting, but also an easy way to keep the threads uh, mm. sort of separated and 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 together, but still, okay, I know what this thread is. I know what that is. With monotheistic God, it becomes more, your factions have to be different, right? I think in a, a monotheistic God, just to use our own world as an example, you probably have more of the, the warlike type faction. The paladins would be going places to go do things and fight and, and war, whereas other priestly types might stay and, and, uh, take care of the so the 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 spirit sense of those under the under the the god so mm. there are a lot of options for that but for me it's the more pan the more gods you have in your pantheon the more diverse and 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 deep your world can feel mm. that's kind of interesting right with the monotheism i suppose the classic is the rebellion isn't it you you know the right um I don't know, we're talking about the demons rebelling against heaven kind of idea, right? right to right, just take, take right. a classic kind of real world example. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of interesting as well that like you can subvert um, ideas. And um, I just kind of, you know, again, just to ask that question for, you know, it sounds to me like what you're saying is fundamentally what you want is you said earlier about escapism being really key in D&D and, mm-hmm. you know, to bring in a pantheon especially creating your own one and not relying on like a real world analog um right. and actually what you are then doing is firmly separating your your subcreated world from like the real world which i guess is probably yeah sounds like to me like it's pretty important to you um you know it, it's not necessarily that i can't have other gods in my pantheons i absolutely can like i love you know individuals who are like you know i really just want to play someone who believes in zeus great let's do that that's mm-hmm. fantastic. 
gods are called different things in different realms, uh, right? And they have different powers based on what realm you're in. Well, are we in the same realm that Zeus exists? Uh, if we are, then Zeus is going to look like Zeus as we know them. But if we're in a realm where Zeus is not the same as the Zeus as we know in our real world, uh, as we have learned of them in the, in, in, in the, the annals of history, then, you know, Zeus might have some cool, interesting things. Maybe Zeus isn't this old man. Maybe Zeus is this young, spry uh, rebellious type who doesn't want to listen to anybody and now everybody has to deal with this ultra powerful <laughs> rebel type uh, and then you know now we're mixing genres and and monotheistic uh, concepts with a uh, pantheon mm. so for me it's a matter of um, I don't have any like strict want on these things for me it's all this is just where my brain goes and how my brain creates uh, and so rather than fight my brain uh, I try to go with it uh, as best I can, um, so as to not derail my entire life. Uh, so for me, it's that, like, I just understood the lens of reality and how people think about each other and how, and what they care about through the lens of, of the stories of gods, because that's how humans did it. And that's why they created. And so as I was reading, as I said earlier, as I was reading those, I realized, oh, these writers are trying to understand. They just gave me a moral viewpoint. Like, mm -hmm. hey, maybe don't treat your daughters and sons bad. <laughs> Some of them sometimes snap and they come back and try to kill you. Like, maybe don't do that. You know, maybe don't do that in uh, or if you want to tell that story in your D&D games, then maybe try to do that. So these are the kind of things where these all come from realism and as a way to for me as a way to escape that realism and understand them in a new way understand mm. what has been presented in my real life and be able to use those things as a way to tell stories to change a reality for a character that maybe couldn't have happened in someone else's real life mm. i always think it's really interesting you're looking at mythology one of the things I loved about D&D when I first came into contact with it, especially once I got my head around Deities and Demigods, which is an incredibly dated first edition book, but um, the thing that struck me was how there was this opportunity, in Greek legend especially, you see this, where a person ascends into demigodhood, you know, that kind of idea of becoming a hero in the yeah. classical sense and then you know being um remembered and venerated and essentially you know being raised up into the realms of gods right. and i always thought yeah. that was a really cool story arc a really cool character arc you know from the from the get-go that's something that a goal that i would want to aspire to as a player yeah. um is that something you see still kind of in gaming do people see that as a way you know of developing their character through or is that something that um not so much. I don't know. What, what's your experience? <clears throat> I experience it that the individuals kind of like that concept. Uh, another strong one that I find is the avatar concept, right? Mm -hmm. Where a god uh, imbues a particular individual with their essence mm -hmm. as a way to ascend or as a way to get something done or mm -hmm. as a way to, uh, you know, interact with the world. I really enjoy that aspect, the avatar Um which is, you know, sort of, I think, born out of our own reality. Uh, the avatar concept is born out of our own re religious uh, reality. So, uh, you know, I so clearly some of these things I do take from our own religions. Mm. Um, but uh, I've always enjoyed that storytelling. And I think that characters like that, too. But what I notice uh, players in their characters like that, too. But what I've noticed with players is some of them like to really play that down. Right. Mm -hmm. Like. You're because if you become an avatar or if you are somehow on your way to demigodhood, 
Um, and it's funny that you bring that up because I actually have a home game where they are playing demigods. They're all, um, they're all, uh, they're all gods who have forgotten what has happened and who they were. And so they're rediscovering who they are. And so I know which one of the gods that the characters each are. They don't know who they are. And right. uh, so they're starting to define themselves as gods. And it's interesting, man, when people get those choices and they're like, oh, no, I'm the god of uh, dreams. And I'm like, well, that's not what that says. But sure, you are now the god of dreams because you're a demigod with a force of divine inspiration and divine mm. will and power. So you get to define reality around you a little bit because you're a demigod. Um I find, and I've done this with my new, like they started out before the pandemic as all new players. None of them had played before. Mm. There were eight of them because there was that nobody, again, man, I'm the forever D and D because I'm the only one who wants to be the DM, uh, I'm forever DM. So, uh, I agreed. And so we sat down with eight people and sure enough, they all at start, like, what are we doing? And I just said, go tell me what you want to do. What are you guys doing? What you're sitting around? There's a forest. Here's, you know, I can describe things around you you're standing in a field what do you want to do and to watch their eyes light up with like wait this is a this board games have rules and choices this i can just do what i want and i'm a i'm a 3d printer so i print i, I am not a 3d printer i print things in 3d <laughs> uh just to clarify for those at home i am not a talking uh computer that prints miniatures i am a person uh with feelings so i print a lot uh, as, I, as i'm showing you uh, this here um i, I love this so, where we're, we're on our podcast audio only and ron's yeah and i'm showing you things gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> well thank you um so it's all what i'm using is like um what they call an SLA printer. It's a vat, a resin vat printer. You pull the mini out of the vat mm. uh, over time. And so um, for me, uh, you know, it started out D AD and D I couldn't really play long term. So my friends and I really just did chain mail, right? We just did mm. um, war gaming at the table and told small stories in between the rolling of dice um, so my love for minis and painting and all that was early on. Uh, and then when the 3d printer tech started to really come out and grow, uh, especially right around the beginning of the pandemic, I, that's what I hyper-focused on. Uh, <laughs> and I hyper-focused on FDM printing as well as uh, resin printing. Uh, and, um, that has really led me to tell a more enriching story at the game. Uh, or excuse me, a riching story at the table because, and I think this is one way to bring people back to that table is now you've got visuals in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a realm. I am a tech person. I do a lot of stuff. Um, I have two degrees, one in mathematics, one in computer science. I've worked for, you know, people like NASA, Equifax, S1, a lot of large companies uh, with big, um, big programming uh departments uh and one of the things i really enjoy is tech in general and so uh, visuals are a great way to bring people back to the table whether you are manufacturing a, a a artist's license um through your printer and painting it and putting it at your table for your players to you know that stranger things boom it's the big bad uh you know that's a really fun thing and people love that energy at a table um but also I've been dipping into like AI mid journey and AI art and mm -hmm. have been doing that for a while now too. And I don't think it's a great way to replace all art. I think that's probably the worst way to go, but it's a great way for people like me who have zero artistic talent uh, to be able to give your players a visual 
feel for the thing that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the recent ones I did was um, so in my demigod game, game, they are trapped in the uh, one of the new planes that I've created uh, called the bloody deep. And it's literally like being out in the Pacific Ocean, but it's all blood. the ocean is blood um and uh islands are made of scabby material like scabs on your skin Mm -hmm. so it's very much like that kind of gritty gross nasty experience Mm -hmm. as you can imagine it's gloomy all the time it's high it's stench the stench is high everywhere Mm -hmm. it's it's involved with a lot of undead and vampires and those kind of things so um one way i i literally just put into the mid-journey ai hey give me a scab island with a blood ocean with a sunset and the image i got back was so visceral that i was like i can show this to my players now it'll set them in the scene right away i don't have to explain too much i can explain a little bit but the rest of it that visual element uh, it really brought them into like, oh, wow, this place is gross and this place is dangerous. And um, and that was a gift that I could not that I experienced that I hadn't really experienced before mm-hmm. was, oh, this is a visual. I curated that visual content. Right. I didn't create it. I curated it. And now I can show this curated image to my players and they are instantly set in the scene. That is a tool that you cannot ignore you know what i mean you just can't especially for home games so for me it's that kind of stuff where 3d printing these visuals um that you can that you can bring to the table will i absolutely know will bring people back to the table cool i'm going to circle back to pantheons where do you start with this then how do you go about building something you know different interesting compelling for your players well, creation myth. Start with the creation myth, right? Like everything comes from something. So how did it get here? I tend to not reinvent the wheel if I can. Uh, I try to use what already sort of exists mm. so that you can get people on board with that thing really quickly. If you come up with a really crazy pantheon idea for a god, that that works. But if it doesn't have any tendrils or anchors to reality, uh, just like in any storytelling, you can have magic, but it still has to have sort of a system to it. Otherwise, people are going to totally just throw it out the window. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Brandon Sanderson does a nice uh, little uh, series uh, on YouTube that talks about a lot of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is, um, you, you know, magic. Yes, you can do anything with magic. There are still rules <laughs> and you still have to define them. They don't have to be explicit. They don't have to be hard and hard, but uh, they can be loose and fast, but there still needs to be some sort of system that the people that are uh, interacting with it can latch on to and understand. So I use that as my focus, a creation myth, and then some sort of system of rules that mm-hmm. those gods have to follow. And because all the gods have to, so does everyone else. So um, that's kind of, how I do it. And then it's just a matter of like, well, okay, how, how did plants come about? How did air come about? How did, you know, it's like taking a recipe and building it from scratch, but here you have to invent the ingredients as you create the recipe, right? I've got to invent, Oh, there's a plant God. Uh, are they sentient? Do they care about anything? Uh, you know, it, those kind of things is a plant God more like Gaia, where it's just sort of living energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, uh, does it have a purpose and a focus? Is it willing to use the abilities it has to focus its will and get things done? Does it not care at all? Uh, you know, again, there's these, there's so many, I'm fascinated. And I think you probably can understand this being someone who's into religion. Um, 
I'm fascinated by the concept of duality of like, mm-hmm. there's one thing and the thing that opposes it. Mm-hmm. And these things people understand. That's fascinating to me because there's so many more options than just the two, but our human brains really, for whatever reason, latch onto the uh, Omega and alpha and that's it, right? Those two options. So for me, I play with that a lot. Okay. I've built this one. I really like this God. There has to be an opposite. There has to be for the balance, for the, for the pantheon to be balanced, there has to be. And if there isn't an opposite, then that becomes the story because there's a non-balance. So why is there no balance? Uh, That kind Mm. of stuff. So for me, it's a matter of, I invent little problems for myself and then try to solve them. And I iterate on that fact constantly in, Mm. in the Pantheon. It's interesting as well. Like talking about basic um, human uh, tendencies. So, you know, dualities um, are a great one. Balance as a concept that you just mentioned is what triggered my Mm -hmm. thought is sometimes I think it's quite fun to introduce one half of a duality and let the players um, figure out the rest because they're going to instinctively sense that there probably is an opposite, right? Yep. Um, and I, I can find I find that's quite interesting. Sometimes it's nice to introduce that you've got your um, evil power, for example, and they're beginning to interact with it, but there's no talk of the opposite, the good, if you like, uh, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be interesting for them to go and discover about that and find out about that. And then it be introduced to that faction and all the rest of it. So, yeah, right. I think sometimes there are just some philosophical things that are givens, if you like, that we just tend to right. take, for, take for granted that we can just right. play with. Um, you know, if you're talking about magic as well, you know, like what is its source? Questions like this are a great basis for sort of, you know, like you said, answering those gives you right. a story, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how do you then engage your players with their religious belief then? So you, you've you've built a pantheon, you built that um, story. Surely you're not going to give them like the holy book that you've written. And, and... <laughs> no, I mean it depends on the story. Like if the god is well established and they and and that's what their design is, then yes, I would. But for the most part, it's it's uh, it depends on the god. Um, for for example, in the latest dungeon run. Uh, in the latest season of Dungeon Run, Saint, uh, who is a half uh, lux, uh, half elephant person, half um, elf, wood elf, um, she, Saint, uh, was just sort of one day trying to find her lost sister and hurt herself uh, by, you know, climbing a tree to look higher and fell down and, and hurt herself in a way that was dangerous to her life. Um, and in that sense, a god was nearby, uh, saw their plight, and decided to intervene uh, for a cost. Uh, and so uh, I won't go into the cost because we don't know what that cost is. And uh, I say a cost, it doesn't necessarily mean it's detrimental to the player. It's just there is a toll. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another concept I think that comes very easily in the religious uh, realms, uh, especially uh, Chiron and, and, and mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, the, the pay a toll to, to get a thing. Mm-hmm. Or, or pay a toll to get a power, pay a toll to go across the river sticks, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And one of the things I really love about Pantheons is it allows you to say death is but the next great adventure, right? Which is one of my favorite lines from Hook, um, uh, the movie Hook. Uh, death is but the next greatest adventure. So um, that's kind of how I do it. That's what I like to do uh, with those particular aspects mm-hmm. of it is um, – Interactivities can come from 
patrons, right, in the form of a patron, uh, a priest uh, who, who who sees that you're, in terms of a religious cleric, for example, a priest mm-hmm. sees that you're that you're a budding influence in the in the religion, and and therefore backs you, uh, and and wants it sends you on missions that are gonna that are gonna help you grow uh, within the the church or within this particular religion. Um, you know, demigods themselves have their own monsters that they revere or, or, or that they love or that they use. Um, so you might have an interaction with an intelligent thing that you normally would just want to kill. But because this one is imbued with the power of one of the gods, it's a little bit different. Maybe we don't kill this one. Maybe we talk to it or maybe we uh, maybe we have to capture it and understand what's going on with it. Maybe it's sick. You know, these kind of things where the members of the religion or faction parts of that particular God can be used to influence the world around them. And as well as your characters, Hmm. if you want them to be avatars, you know, there's other ways to interact with that. If you want your characters themselves to be avatars, if you want, um, if you want them to become demigods, like, you know, maybe one of them wants to be like the new Hercules, right? Like, okay. So then there's some things we can do with that. You've got to go on your trials. Once you finish with your trials, now you can become the next step and the next step and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of options there. And I think ultimately that's really what it is for Pantheons is it just gives you a field, a fertile field to create new budding stories. Mm-hmm. I wanted to touch back on the subject of alignment. So for you, what is the place of that in the game? How do you how do you use alignment in your D&D games? Well, I don't really use alignment in my D&D games anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I get why it existed to sort of help, you know, over time to help people understand the con- these concepts of what are law, order, mm-hmm. chaos, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you know, in heroic story, um, which is a you know the collaborative storytelling um, uh, of a community um, on our Discord, uh, heroicstory.com, check it out. Um, one of the things that we uh, you brought up factions as a um, you know like uh, as alignment as factions, and I think yeah. that was probably how I used it the most. Yeah, was that these were just really easy that's a label i can put that bucket here that's a label Mm -hmm. i can put that bucket here for quick use um and that works for a while but just like anything that's sort of you know starts off like we don't code in machine language anymore Mm -hmm. right we code in other languages now because we've learned them and created them and 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 things have progressed and i think that's what we're experiencing at least that's how i look at it what we're experiencing with the quote-unquote death of the alignment Mm -hmm. um is it, well, one, it, it pigeonholes people into nine things, and that's just not what people are. Uh, and and two, um, it is a quick tool to use to sort of understand, but I think we already kind of know that, right? Like we we intuitively, if they're working for someone who's opposing the party, they're probably going to be evil if your party is good. Those things are quick things to be able to use to am I in the right direction? Mm. But ultimately, and here's a story I like to tell is like, hey, man, angels can be jerks, too. Right. So you might be lawfully good, but you might still do some things that are kind of crappy from my viewpoint. (laughs) You know, you might be following what you believe, but at the same time, it's affecting me in a way that's not so great. And I think that's where we're getting a little bit closer to reality in terms of pantheonism is it's great what you believe. But when it starts to impact me and I don't believe it, not that the world is impacting me, that, that's not what I'm talking about, but your belief impacting me physically is where we go, no, sorry, 
no thank you uh and i think that's i think that exists in the fantasy realm too right i think that exists in the fantasy realm as well and so you can still play with that kind of stuff now the only difference is in our realm we can't go no your belief doesn't impact me but if that person in real reality was a god and i said your belief doesn't impact me then i would just cease to exist so there's you know there's some room there to play with that spectrum uh in in games and so i think alignment kind of was the touch of that um but like i was saying i think using alignment as a basis for factions is a strong use Hmm. you know i believe in order i believe in that there are rules to things i believe that these are the ways that they should be done oh i believe in chaos and that's not even to say that i believe in chaos because believing in chaos is probably an ordered thing so i probably don't believe in chaos i'm not sure what i believe kaboom everything rips apart you know that's the that's how i look at this kind of stuff where it's like let's look at the extremes and sort of rein them in and then plant them everywhere. And now you've got a pretty garden that you can just run around in and let your players play and follow them. Like you don't have, they don't, you don't have to force them to go anywhere because you've laid all these sort of landmines for them to find. Uh, and you can focus on what their story is because I don't care how much you might've read about Hercules and Zeus and all the gods that interacted with him. Hercules's story is interesting on its own. If you even took all the gods out of it, Hercules's story is fascinating. It's a it's a tale of tragedy and heroism and some stupid stuff, but you know, it it's that's part of it. And that's what I think the rich part of all of this is is the alignment just you can ignore it. Like if you need it because that's what helps you understand, great. But we need to get to a place where you can let that go right it's like an improv and i think this also this rule also applies to D, especially in 5e is in improv we learn the rules so that we're good at breaking them so that when we break them it's for a purpose and it has weight and i think that's kind of the same with 5e that's how i go about it with 5e i'm down with breaking the rules of 5e that's the only reason i know the rules of 5e is so that i can break them so that when you ask me a thing that goes against the rules i can go well, I can see where you're coming from. I can see that. That's where the rule of cool really comes from. And I think in a pantheon set fantasy realm, the rule of cool becomes something you can rely on because the gods are involved. They're alive. They're in, they're in, they're watching, they're invested. They're, you know, just like other people. And I think that's, that's what really builds something fascinating for me to be a part of. Thanks for all that, Ron. It's great. And um, I just, I'm conscious of time. So I just wanted to sure. mention that um, I believe you're getting ready to launch a Kickstarter for something called Seasons of Adventure, which yes. is tagged as a 5e playable advent calendar. So, you know, I guess we have a small, tiny, itsy bitsy uh, religious link here. Well, uh, a little us, bit. Right? Tell us a little bit about that. What, what's the plan? Uh, well, you know, so uh, it is not very religious oriented at all. Uh, we kind of, we've kind of, yeah, we've sort of re- removed that. Um, we have enough of that in our lives. This is not the, just not what our target is. So yeah. our target's more of like, hey, let's play, let's give reasons for families to play together at the table during Christmas time. And we hear so many kids like, oh, I want to play d and I want to play d and Great. Love that want that energy want to do whatever i can to make that energy even bigger than it already is but at the same time like you talk about how do i get people back to the game people Mm. who played a long time ago who have left well i can't think of any other reason than your kids personally Mm. 
That's just me. If you, I don't have any kids yet. I'm working on that. I just recently got married. Um, so hopefully Congrats. we'll be having some children soon. At least that's the plan. Thank you very much. Um, I am a very, very lucky man. Uh, I talk about Heather all the time. She's wonderful. Uh, she helps me do all the stuff. Wedding planner, beautiful person. Um, so she uh, has really inspired me with this kind of stuff where it's like, look, I, it, it if I could have done this with my parents at the table when I was a kid, my life would have been very, very different, very different. Mm -hmm. Because then there's a, you know, there's a point where kids can be DMs too. And I would love for someone and to do that for myself is one day have a child who then DMs for me. You know, that's, it's that kind of like, it's the same joy of creating at the table that you can just share with someone else. And mm. I cannot think of a better way to do that. So all of that to say this 5e uh, playable advent calendar only comes out of the, it's fun to open up things and for a whole month and get little presents every day. That's mm. literally why we created it. Uh, and it was a fun play on words with advent chore, right? That's just a yeah. fun play on words. So we, we figured to tie into that, but this is a story of, um, Auroria, which is a magical realm. Uh, it is a, essentially a pocket plane where uh, Nikolai, who is our Santa Claus, quote unquote, uh, Father Nikolai uh, runs this area and he essentially uses it as a way to uh, go over to all the other realms and deliver presents to people in D&D realms. Uh, and so part of the fun of this was figuring out, hey, what does a Santa look like? Uh, a demigod himself in many in many aspects uh what does that look like in D? like what is he delivering uh who is he taking them to uh you know that kind of stuff and we came up with uh i think santa's just the general store flying around all over the place right it's just the, it's just the page in the in the php that is your general store that you can get anything from uh is how i looked at it so that's uh what we did so it's a krampus adventure our bbeg is krampus we're being up front about that our models are incredible um, artists, uh, you know, I mentioned LARPing earlier, mm. um, half of the, half of the people that work for this company, we got together because we LARPed together for so long. Um, the artist, uh, Chris Hayes is a former blizzard employee worked for Epic games. Uh, he's a senior artist, um, in the, you know, AAA gaming sphere, uh, incredible artist, such a cool dude, humbling, um, I, I'm very lucky to work with the crowd that we work with. Uh, everyone really cares for each other. Um, and uh, we we're, we're working really hard on this product, uh, which launches November 1st um, Kickstarter uh, seasons of adventure. It's uh, what we're trying to shoot for is a mini a day. So you get one mini every day, uh, PVC plastic, uh, you know, nice sculpted minis, uh, everything you need in the box, dice maps, music, everything and a full story campaign so that you can play with your friends and family during the holidays sounds cool yeah i'm excited about it we've been working on it for a long time since the beginning of the pandemic <laughs> well thanks ron been great to have you yeah. on and uh, thanks so very much for your time any last words um yeah there's one i've been saying for a heroic story that i really enjoy it's like hey uh, everybody who's listening out here your your life is a story be the hero in it Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Speak to you again soon. Thank you, Jay. That was so fun. You're such an easy guy to talk to. So thank you so much. Game on.
Big thank you once again to Ron Ogden for coming and sharing his creativity with us. I'll stick the link to thedungeonsociety.com and Ron's other endeavours, such as the Twitch stream, in the show notes. It's all good stuff. Thank you once again to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. Thanks again to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.